Welcome to the School Selector Podcast, the podcast that helps you find the perfect school for your child. Today we're visiting the British School of Muscat in Oman. So sit back and relax and let's get to it. So, Kai, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Neil. Well, first of all, thanks very much for inviting me to join the podcast. Um, mm. A little bit about myself. Uh, so I uh, started my teaching career at two state schools in the UK. Uh, I was head of geography at a state school in East Sussex and then an assistant head at a state school in West Sussex. And then from then I went on to work for a school improvement organisation in London for nine years. And I travelled around the UK and a bit internationally, visiting a whole range of schools and seeing some amazing things about how you could lead and operate schools in a whole range of different contexts. And then in 2011, uh, I had the privilege and the delight to be appointed as principal of British School Muscat. And since 2019, I've also had responsibility for British School Salala. So I've been leading uh, schools in the Middle East now for more than more than 10 years. Uh, and it's a real joy and a privilege to be leading BSM and BSS here in the beautiful country of Oman. Fantastic. And um, give us a very quick introduction to the school. Uh, well, our school is not-for-profit. Uh, in 2023, we are celebrating 50 years with a royal charter, which gives us a substantial amount of autonomy and independence. Uh, we are a 3 to 18 co-educational day school, uh, providing uh, GCSEs and A-levels for the older students, and uh, we're on a wonderful site located between the Gulf of Amman and the Al Hajar Mountains. Not too bad. Not too Not bad. Not too bad at all. <laughs> and um, a little bit about uh, you know the school's facilities. Right. So since 2015, uh, we've undergone a substantial redevelopment of our 38,000 square metre site here in Muscat. Uh, so we now have three amazing swimming pools, which means that we can do at the same time development swimming from the very youngest children to the very most mature adults and also competitive swimming. We have a very strong competitive swimming program at the same time. So we have three swimming pools. We have two very large sports halls, which means that right throughout the year, we can do a good range of basketball, volleyball, netball, uh, those sorts of indoor sports. Uh, we've also got a wonderful all-weather pitch where we can do football and hockey and athletics and our annual 24-hour charity run. We have state-of-the-art science labs, 10 of them in a brand-new science block. Uh, we have a wonderful university-style sixth-form centre, which gives our older students uh, the feeling and the opportunity to study in a, in a separate building uh, compared to the rest of the school and we have the most wonderful uh, theatre which is built to a professional standard with wonderful uh, lighting and sound and we have some fantastic performances in there. So we do have some really inspiring facilities for our students and for our wider community to enjoy on a daily basis. Learn about the things that this school values. 
Look, I tell us a little bit about the school's mission and how you're you strive every day to achieve that mission. Okay, so our mission is that uh, we aim to grow and nurture our students to be best for the world. So that's our our mission. Really nice, short and crisp, best for the world. And uh, how we live into that mission every day is uh, we created eight years ago with all our, our staff here, we created the BSM Learning Ethos. And uh, the BSM Learning Ethos underpins everything we do, under, underpins our approach to curriculum design, to teaching and learning, to our approach to pastoral care, our reward system, reporting system. And the, the BSM Learning Ethos, it articulates very clearly the ways of behaving and the ways of thinking which we are trying to grow and nurture in our students. So, for example, the ways of behaving is making sure that our students feel safe, uh, that they are resourceful in their learning and that they are respectful. That's some elements of our our learning ethos. And then in terms of thinking skills, we are encouraging our students to think creatively, to think innovatively and to think with confidence. So this learning ethos uh, articulates in more detail our mission and our mission, as I said, is to create students who leave us best for the world. Right. And and what would you say your school excels at if you were to pick out one or two things that are that are uh, highlights in, in the program that you offer? Um, well, I think we we excel at um, you know looking at each individual child and whatever their talent may be is through the curriculum and through our extra curricular program is identifying their talents. And we believe that every single child has talents. So we identify those talents and through the curriculum and through the extra curricular program, we nurture and grow those individual talents in the students and paying that personalized attention to each individual student and we have a very wide range of students from all over the world uh, we do do a very good job i think in growing each individual student in a way that works for that student right let's go back a little bit into how the the school is governed you mentioned that uh, it's a not-for-profit uh, but who are your board um who who okay. uh, guides so, you who- who are the board? Who guides us? Who owns the school? Yeah. Um, well, for that, we, get, we have to go through a bit of a little bit of history. Uh, so the school was set up by a royal charter granted by His, Maj- His Majesty Sultan Qaboos in 1973. And His Majesty granted the school a royal charter and at the same time granted the school the site of land that we're on. Right. And by granting the school the land and the charter, said to the founder companies in Muscat at the time who were desperate for an English-speaking school for their employees. He said to those founder companies like Petroleum Development Amman and Shell and BP, he said, well, here's the land, here's the charter, and now you as founder companies, you invest in the buildings, and from the founder companies will be drawn the governors of the school. Right. So... That's how the school was set up, and the school is still governed in that way. So it's governed by representatives 
of the founder companies that were responsible initially for helping to establish the school and still support the school through the time they give to the governance of the school. Understood. Um, and what are the current strategic objectives of the school? Um, our key strategic objectives at the moment uh, include uh, developing a coaching culture right across the school. Uh, so we're very interested to learn from the business world and the research into the positive impact that coaching can have on right. the way that uh, staff relate to each other, the way that staff can re relate to students, the way we relate to our community. So that's a really big strategic objective at the moment is, is creating uh, a coaching culture right across the school. And that affects, that affects the way we interact with each other right across our professional and uh, parental community. Secondly, we are looking at um, developing our approach to diversity, equity and inclusion. And we want every member of our, of our community to feel that they belong to our school community. Right. Um, so those are those are two big strategic objectives that we are working on currently. Fantastic. And and you mentioned that you've been in a process of physical renewal, uh, buildings and all of those things. What concrete plans uh, does the school have uh, uh, for the next few years? OK, so as we've been redeveloping our site, we, we've been left with quite a large area uh, in our senior school, which is known as the senior school slope uh, and it's right. between our theatre and our sixth form centre. So we have this slope of gravel at the moment, which has huge potential. Right. And so what we are working on at the moment, and we've just started that this term, we are working with some landscape architects. We are working with our, our student leadership or student impact groups and our, and our colleagues to work out how we can best develop this slope into a really attractive feature for our students. So for example, we're thinking about how can we maybe create an amphitheater there, a shaded amphitheater, which would also be a, sh a, a, a social space as well oh. as an outdoor performance space. Uh, there would be some nice garden areas. It would give some quiet areas where, which would help support our students' well-being. So we have this slope, which is not very attractive at the moment, but over the next year, we are going to be thinking about the design, create the design, and then, well, by September, we're hoping that the, this this redesigned slope will be actually in use by the students in a much better way than it is at the moment. That sounds fantastic, Kay. Um Let's talk a little bit about accreditations now. Um, for parents, uh, always a, a very important part of, of uh, looking at a school. Um, how is the school accredited and by whom? Okay, so yes, it is a very important uh, part of the, the school's uh, operation. Uh, so we are about to embark on our fourth British Schools Oversea Inspection. So the BSO inspections are overseen by the Department of Education in the UK and also Ofsted in the UK. Right. So we're going through our fourth inspection uh, in a few weeks' time. Uh, and all our inspection reports, which which uh, accredited school very, very favourably, are available on our website and uh, all parents can read those. Uh, we've also been an accredited member of the Council of British International Schools, that's COBIS, since about 2013. Okay. And that gives us access and we learn from a global 
network of British international schools. We are also members of British schools in the Middle East. So that gives us access to a regional network of British international schools. And that enables our students to have a competitive sport with other schools in Dubai, Abu Dhabi, Bahrain, Qatar, uh, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, across the region. So we're also an accredited member of British Schools Middle East. And we also have a strong link back to the UK through our membership of HMC. Uh, and so we've been an HMC member for probably six or seven years. And that gives us uh, connectivity and keeps us in touch with uh, the leading independent schools in the UK. So we've got so that, that link back to the UK with HMC, the link regionally with BSME, the link globally with COBIS and our, in, our, our inspections, COBIS, uh, the BSA inspections, which we have every three years, that all those things should give parents a lot of reassurance that one, this is a high quality school, and two, we are, we are part, we are part, we are an active member of uh, local, regional, national and international networks of like-minded schools. Find out about the people who make up this community. Well, let's focus in now on the people at, at your school and uh, in benefit and enjoy all the things that the school has to offer. Um, could you tell us, first of all, a little bit about your leadership team, the people that you work directly with? Yep. Um, so very proud of uh, the team that I serve. Um, we are, you could say, strong and stable. I think somebody once used those adjectives to describe leadership. <laughs> uh, we're, we're, certainly, uh, we're certainly experienced. Um, most of my leadership team have been here for a while, which is a good thing. It provides a lot of stability for the school. Uh, so we've been at the school a while. We've been in Amman a while. We've got a lot of experience of international education between us, uh, a lot of experience of leading the school in Amman. Uh, we've right. also got a lot of experience of British education. We've all had experience working in the UK too. Um, and we're quite diverse, mostly female. Um, and um, yeah, I say we're, we're, we are quite diverse, which gives us a range of opinions. So when we're discussing how to approach something or deal with a certain issue, we've got a range of views uh, which we discuss respectfully with each other. So hopefully that helps us make decisions which are right for the school, for the students, for the parents going forward. Fantastic. And what about your faculty? Similar? Uh, faculty is also highly talented, uh, again, stable. Uh, we have about 10% turnover a year. Uh, which is healthy because it, it gives opportunities for our staff to progress and take on promotion opportunities. Um, uh, but usually when, when teachers come here, they really enjoy the school. They really enjoy living in Amman. And there is also lots of development opportunities at the school in terms of uh, professional development. And they're able to get involved with the school, the extra curricular program there's a, there's a lot that can get involved in it and help that and that, that helps them develop as professionals um, and so most of our teachers stay here at least five years and it's right. not unusual for a teacher to stay here 10 years and we have some teachers who have been here more than 20 years sure. that's how enjoyable it is to live and work at Briscoe Muscat. 
Right. And what are the minimum qualifications and experience that teachers need in order to join yeah. your school? So we expect our teachers to be qualified teachers. Right. Uh, and if if they're not UK qualified, and most of our teachers are UK qualified, if they're not UK qualified, they must have experience of teaching the British curriculum. Um, so, and obviously they, they all, uh, they speak very good English. Uh, they've got experience of the UK curriculum. And a lot of them, as well as having UK experience, have also got experience of teaching in an international setting. And so that gives us a very, very capable uh, teaching staff and that's probably the, the the biggest strength of the school after the students who are wonderful our teachers are absolutely superb wonderful and you mentioned students and teachers what's your staff to student ratio uh, uh, um, in the school and how do you calculate that so our, our staff to student ratio uh, currently is uh, one member of staff for every 11 teachers and so what that gives us typically are maximum class sizes of 24, uh, but many of our class sizes are probably around about 20, maybe just under 20. So that gives us right across the school, small class sizes, which means that we can offer that personalized support, uh, personalized attention to our young people. Wonderful. Let's move on to parents now. Um, Describe your parent body to us. Uh, where do they come from? Well, quite diverse. 30% uh, of our families are Br British. Uh, the other 70% of families come from more than 70 different nationalities. So while we call ourselves a British international school, our community is very international and very diverse. Right. And what that creates in the school is this wonderfully diverse international community of students who get along very well with each other. They, they mix very easily. And when they leave the school, they end up with friends all over the world. And that's really very helpful as they move into, into their life. Uh, but yes, wonderfully diverse community. Uh, also, our parents are very, very supportive of the school and they like to get involved in supporting the school, whether it's with their children's learning or whether it's um, raising funds for the school or supporting the drama productions or the sporting activities or the bake sales. They are wonderfully supportive of the school and I think they are very proud of the school. And once they've been here a while, like the students, they feel that they have a strong emotional attachment to the school which is fantastic wonderful wonderful and um if i were to sort of run into some parents uh, uh if you weren't around and i was wandering around the campus or outside uh, being nosy what, what do you think they would tell me about your school well what they what they tell us consistently we, we do ask them consistently how they feel about school the number one thing that they they say that they, they really like about school is the quality of teaching and the quality of teachers that we have at the school. They right. really do appreciate that. And they can see and they can feel the impact of that quality on the learning and the development of their children. Do you have um, parent surveys uh, uh, that you carry out? Yeah, we have a, an annual parent survey and we've been doing this parent survey uh, for probably the last 15 years. So we could compare our year on year uh, how we're doing against different responses to questions. 
Um, so that's why, for example, I can speak to you very confidently and say, you know, the parents, well over 90%, normally 99%, some years 100% of the, of the parents tell us that the quality of teaching is at least good. Uh, so we have an annual parent survey, and we do that in February, so about halfway through the school year. Right. So we can take the key learnings from those surveys every year, and then that can feed into the creation of the next school development plan, which we do between sort of February and June uh, for the next year. So we are taking it very seriously, and we listen very carefully to what our parents have to say through that survey, and also through whenever parents want to speak to us, uh, and we, we, we quite often create uh, focus groups on particular areas. So, for example, if a key issue is coming up in the survey, let's say it's homework or reporting to parents, and we need to understand better what parents are uh, not so happy about, we then create a focus group, we invite parents in, and they give us a lot more detail about that particular area so we can really understand what, what it is that's causing the issue and then we can create a detailed plan to, to deal with that issue. We also have uh, two parent representatives uh, on the Board of Governors. So in addition right. to the, the founder companies, representatives, which I mentioned earlier, many of those are also parents. And we also have every, every two years elections for two parent representatives and they represent the views of the parents on the governing body and in the, the governor committees. Right. Now, getting to the most important group uh, now, the students, uh, you've always mentioned, already mentioned how wonderful they are and, and I, I, you know, I can really believe it. Um, uh, tell us, uh, however, how you um, approach student involvement in your school uh, in terms of decision-making or social community life or or indeed learning. Yeah. Well, part of our vision is that everyone in our school uh, community feels valued. Uh, and so in terms of our students, it's really important to us that every student feels that they have a voice and that voice is listened to. And so we've done a lot of work over, over the years on making sure that uh, what we might call student voice, we then called student leadership. We now called our student impact groups. That, and we call them student impact groups because we want our student leaders uh, to have a positive impact on the school. So right. we don't want student voice or student leadership to be decorative or tokenistic. What we want those groups to do is we want them to feel that they are airing their views, but not only, not only doing that, but they're also directing and leading areas of the school. So for example, last year, our student impact group for teaching and learning, they took it upon themselves with the support of, from, from, from some teachers to redesign our reward system because they felt it was okay, but it wasn't really working as well as it could. So the students surveyed other students, the parents and the staff, and then they looked at that, that feedback coming from the surveys and redesigned and improved significantly the way in which that we reward students and we motivate students. So that's the sort of thing we're trying to do with our student impact groups is, is getting them involved. So they're not only expressing views, but they're also having opportunities to lead and direct school improvement themselves. 
Fantastic. And getting to basics, how do you name your grades? How do you organize your school? Um, you know, um, different yeah. schools do it in different ways. Could you yeah. tell us how you do it? Yeah, so having our Royal Charter and the, the autonomy that that gives us means that we, we can name our grades in the way that a British school would do in the UK. So we start off with nursery, that's three, four, three to four-year-olds, and reception, the four to five-year-olds. And then we go, the primary school that is from there is, is years one through to six. So that's up until age 11. And then at age 11, they transition into the senior school, and that's years seven to 13. And so we offer a 13-year uh, program. So if our children start with us at nursery and they finish with us in the sixth form, they will have had 13 years of education here. And it's interesting, about every year we have about 10% of our, of, our, of our year 13 students who have been with us since nursery. How wonderful is that? We've seen those students grow through the school. It is. It's a wonderful experience to see that. It really is. Um, and for parents who are coming from other systems, basically year 13 is the equivalent to grade 12 in the American system, one one less. Um, and, um, uh, you know, when when is the cutoff date uh, at your school in terms of students uh, going into a grade? Well, we like to be very flexible. So we ex accept applications for places for all year groups right throughout the year. Right. And uh, apart from a very small number of uh, public holidays, we are always open and we are open for applications and students can join us at any time during the year. Okay. Learn about the different sections of the school. So let's zoom in now on the, the little ones, the littlies, uh, in your school called nursery and reception. Um, in other schools might be called kindergarten. Um, how many schools or uh, students are in this section? Uh, so we have capacity uh, in our two years, reception and uh, nursery. We have capacity for up to 75 students. Right. Okay. And and how old do students need to be to enter into your nursery? They need to be three. Right. And three at the the moment of entry, or three at the uh, at the beginning of the school year. Yes, three, three, three for the moment of entry. Again, we're we're quite flexible uh, with when children can can join us. But yes, uh, they, they they need to be three, and then from from three onwards, we can consider them consider them for a place in our wonderful, lovely, friendly nursery. Wonderful, wonderful. And um, you know, describe the nursery to us uh, and, and maybe the reception as well. Uh, describe the physical space for us and yeah. uh, help us imagine well, what we would see. Yes, I, I have the joy of uh, once a week, I, uh, I stand on the gate at nursery because they have a specific entrance. Uh, that's one thing that's different straight away. They have their own little uh, entrance. Uh, and I'm on there on the gate every every Thursday morning, greeting the wonderful nursery and reception children's school. So they have their, their own sort of uh, separate part of the site where, where they come into the school and they have the most amazing play area, which is uh, spread out over several areas, several layers. So there are slides, there are climbing frames, there are bikes, there are sand pits, there's water play, there are plants. 
There are all sorts of uh, activities for them to do in that play area, that outside play, play area. And it is shaded and there are also fans. So it can be used for a large part of the year. And that then from, from the play area, they can move very easily into their classrooms. And we have three classrooms for nursery, three classrooms for reception. Right. We also have a, a small dining area. So they have this wonderful part of the school where they've got their classrooms uh, and they can move within classrooms and around the area and they can move in and out of the school. There goes a bell, just to prove we're in school today. Sure. Um, so it's, it's a lovely, flexible space and it's a very child-friendly space. And uh, I mean, my children were unfortunately too old to go to nursery and reception when they arrived at the school. But it, it was, a, it was it's a, it's an area, it's an environment which I think any parent would love their children, their children to be there and to learn and to play and to meet other children. It's just a dynamic, friendly space. Wonderful. And what's the the maximum group size uh, for your nursery and uh, the group size? Well, we tend to work on uh, ratios rather than group size. So sure. for every eight children, we have one adult, which is sort of the, the I think the expectation that you'd find in most British. Uh, setups of that 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 age of children okay and and do you offer half day uh, for students um uh, we don't offer a half day uh, but we do have a staggered start to to nursery at the start of the year so right. we do ease them in slowly to to the school day uh, but then after two to three weeks then we, we find that they are settled and most of the children when i see them every thursday morning most children come running and skipping into school. They can't wait to get to nursery and reception. Sure. And their faces are beaming and they're smiling and they can't wait to get there. Wonderful. And, and their school day, is it, uh, when do they start and when do they finish? So they start, uh, they start at half past seven and they finish at half past 12. So it's, right. it's, it's a bit shorter than the day for the older children. Okay. And so do they stay for lunch or do they go to lunch uh, at home? No, they, 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 can have, they, they have lunch at school. They, they have a snack and they have lunch at school. It's a nice area where they can have lunch. Uh, and they can stay on longer at uh, school if they wish. We have something called the Oryx Club. Right. Uh, so they can stay in the creche or the Oryx Club uh, and that, that can extend their, their time at school. Okay. And... And you know, for many parents who've got young children, um, learning to read and write is an issue that they have in their heads. Um, how uh, does the school approach uh, uh, the issue of reading and writing with the, the, the youngest children? Well, I'm not an early year specialist, uh, so sure. uh, I, I can give you a broad answer to this, really. But uh, I think that's fine. I mean, but what 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 you, what you'll see. Uh, in our nursery reception area, you see a lot of learning through play. Right. And there's a lot of focus in those early years, both in nursery and reception, and also in uh, years one and two on learning through play. And that's why, you know, we have such a large area that is dedicated to play. Um, and we do put a lot of emphasis on reading in particular and reading to the children and starting for them to learn to read. Um, and we have book schemes and obviously, you know, we encourage parents to, to read to their children and to list their children. So it's so a reading is important and, uh, and they will start to develop uh, their ability to write 
uh, in those years. But again, every child will develop at a different stage. And we might have some children who are highly fluent readers by the time they're five. Sure. And we have children like that. And we have other children who maybe only become fluent readers when they're seven or eight. But again, we, we are personalized in our approach and we can cater for that range of learning needs. But what we're really focusing on in reception and nursery are, are the social skills and uh, learning through play. And, and that's what you will see a lot whenever I go into nursery reception, whether it's in the classroom or outside the classroom, I see children active, they're, they're not sitting in desks, they're right. active, they're playing, they're playing with each other, they're you know, you're doing constructive play and they are learning mostly social skills, motor skills through play. And it's just, it's a wonderful learning environment and it's wonderful to see that. Great. Um, one other practical issue that's always on the minds of, of parents of the youngest children is uh, uh, toilet training and whether they can gain admission and, you know, the pressures and the stresses that that brings. And you're a dad and I remember uh, my kids uh, going through that journey. What's the school's position uh, with yeah. regard to toilet training and how do you yeah, help so, uh, parents and kids uh, yeah. uh, on that journey? Yeah, so we, we do we do expect our, our children in nursery reception to be toilet trained uh, to be part of that unit. And, and does that mean um, tolerance of the occasional accident or are you? Yes, there'll always be the occasional accident. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. And we're, we're very tolerant of that. And we have lovely toilet facilities and bathrooms. Uh, so we can we can deal with that very comfortably. OK, great. Um, uh, the annual fee for, for the early years, uh, uh, could you share that with us? Uh, yeah, the annual fee. I mean, all our all our fees are available on our website. Uh, sure. but our current annual fee for early years is between uh, three thousand eight hundred Amani Real and four thousand seven hundred and fifty Amani Real. So now, Kai, we'll move into your primary school, uh, sometimes called the elementary school, um, and that's I guess year one through to six, which are the eleven, twelve year olds, or uh, 11, yeah, to, to age 11, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, how many students uh, are in this section? Um, well, we have around about 350 students in this section of the school. Right. Yeah. And how is it structured? How many classes uh, per grade and, and how many uh, students uh, approximately in each class? Yeah. So in each grade, we have uh, we have three classes. So year one has three classes, two, three classes, and so on. And those classes are not more than 24 students in each class. So right. each year group tends has three classes, maximum 24 in each class. And do you have any teaching assistants uh, that work within the elementary school, primary school? Yeah. So in, in years one and two, there is one teaching assistant per class. Um, and then as the students get older and need less support like that, uh, there's one teaching assistant for each year group from year three into year six. Okay, understood. And could you give us a picture of the kind of things that the students in this age range are learning uh, and how you're approaching that learning? Mm, absolutely. So um, I was, was on a, a tour of the primary school every week 
recently for four or five weeks. I went into every year group. And what I saw and what parents will see as they go around the school is children who are, first of all, very happy to be at school. They're very happy. They are very engaged in their learning. They're very motivated. And they are very active in their learning. Um, right. And so we do teach, for example, maths and English uh, in maybe quite a traditional way in some senses. I mean, we, we really think it's important that the students you know, get a very good degree of numeracy and literacy by the time they leave the primary school. Um, but also that can be done in very active ways as well from time to time. I mean, I, I was walking into, I was in a series of year five classes just a few weeks ago, and they were working on problem solving in mathematics. And again, to see their enjoyment and their engagement and they, the active engagement in, in solving this maths problem was, was amazing. And the questions and the thoughts they were coming up with around the mathematical problem they were trying to deal with was absolutely incredible. So we are really encouraging our students to think for themselves, for our students to be creative, to be creative problem solvers, to develop independence, to develop teamwork. So yes, the knowledge and the understanding in maths and uh, English and in science and in history and geography, those are very important. But what's equally important are the behavioral and the thinking skills that we see in our learning ethos. Um, so you see a lot of happy children, you see a lot of active children, and you see children thinking. I mean, sure. it's, you know, very often you walk into classrooms and the, the energy in the classroom is quite electric because there's so much thinking and sort of thought and discussion going on, so much energy in there, that it, it's just an absolute joy to be part of that. Fantastic. And, and tell us a little bit about the arts, um, the students' involvement in creativity, maybe also uh, in sports. Yeah. So, again, the arts are very important. So getting involved in, in art and also design and technology, in making models. Uh, so there's wonderful opportunities for the children to develop their creative intelligence, which is going to be so important as we move into a world where artificial intelligence uh, becomes more and more of a thing, it's really mm. important that, that our students, if they're going to be best for the world, are able to develop their creative intelligence, because uh, that's something that artificial intelligence doesn't have. Um, so great emphasis on the creative and the performing arts. And we have a, an annual primary school production to help them perform music is a, a really important part of our curriculum. And we have additional uh, instrumental teaching in years five and six. So all our children learn an instrument in year five and six, and they get individual tuition and group tuition in addition to their, their class music learning. Um, so music provision is very, very strong in the primary school, as well as languages. We offer Arabic and French, uh, that's important. From a very early age, they're, they're learning two languages in addition to English. And then into sports, swimming is an important part of the curriculum. And, uh, you know, we want every child to be able to swim 25 metres by the time they leave our school, because that's an important life-saving skill. Um, but we've got a great uh, series of sports halls 
where they can do basketball, netball, volleyball, indoor games, and then a great or weather pitch where they can do athletics and hockey and football. Um, and so whatever the weather, and for quite a period of time, it's quite hot here, but whatever the weather, we've got a, a really good range of sporting facilities so our children can be active as much as possible. Fantastic. And if I were to go into a classroom, what kind of, what would I see? Would I see children sitting in rows quietly? Well, they might be quiet some of the time when they're really absorbed in problem solving or focusing mm -hmm. on something. But you, you will quite often see students sitting at groups of tables. Um, they will smile at you as you walk in. Uh, they'll be very happy to see you, uh, but they find it very normal for other adults to walk into classrooms. You will see them actively engaged in their learning. And, and that, yeah. that's a really wonderful thing, I think, for anybody to see. Well, whatever classroom you walk into, you will always see our children actively engaged in whatever they're doing. And they can talk to you. If you started to ask some questions about what they were learning, they could talk to you with great confidence and clarity about what they were learning and what they were trying to achieve. Fantastic. And could you describe a sort of typical school day for, for, for primary students uh, starting, you know, arrival and, and going through the day for us so that we yeah, get a picture so of the kind of thing they get up to? A typical day, they start at half past seven. So they come into school, start at half past seven. Very often the first hour or so, they're focusing on maybe the more academic areas of the curriculum like numeracy or maths and literacy. We tend to do that early in the day. And then after the first break, they have a first break, about half an hour, where they can go into the courtyard or the special key stage one, key stage, uh, key stage one playground or the key stage two player where there's lots of play equipment. So they, they can be active at break time. And then after break, they might move more into things like humanities. And then as the day progresses, they might get into more creative project work towards the end of the day. Uh, once a week, they'll have an assembly, um, and they have also, in, in, in addition to their class teacher, they have a number of specialist teachers. So for music, for French, for Arabic, for computing. Uh, so for a number of subjects, they will have specialist teachers who can share their expertise in those areas with the children. Fantastic. And, you know, you were mentioning earlier that uh, students uh, learn at different rates and, and students, uh, you know, have, have various uh, uh, opportunities and challenges. How do you support uh, an individual student's personal learning journey? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, well, for a start, we have small class sizes. So class sizes are never more than 24. So that helps us with the personalised support. Uh, and then if a student comes with us, let's say, whether they're not fluent in English, and many of our students are not fluent in English when they join us, uh, we've got a very strong uh, English as an additional language team. So we have three full-time teachers uh, who can support our students with uh, English as an additional language. And we normally find that even if a student uh, uh, joins us with very little English, uh, then very quickly in this English-speaking environment, young children very quickly acquire the English language. And so our EAL team support that. We also have a, a special educational needs team as well, 
uh, and they're able to offer children support who may have dyslexia or dyscalculia. They can give in-class support, so where additional teaching assistants or inclusion assistants go in and work alongside the child in class, or if they need specific interventions over a period of time, they can also be withdrawn from, from classes at some point to have specific intervention. So we do have a, what we call an EAL team for support with English and an SEN team for special education needs to support the needs of a range of, of children. Fantastic. And um, if I'm going to send my child uh, uh, to the primary school, what kind of fees can I expect uh, to pay? So the fees you can expect in the primary school are between 5,100 a minor real and 5,300 a minor real per year. So let's move on to the secondary school now. Um, that's going from grades uh, year six to year 13. Um, how many students do you have in this section? In this section at the moment, we have just over 500 students. Right, okay. And and um, what programmes do you offer? Uh, we offer IGCSEs, uh, so that's from age 14 to 16. And then post-16, we offer A-levels and BTEC. Okay. And so BTEC are vocational qualifications. Uh, so a student can either do, let's say, three or four A-levels, or they might like to do one or two A-levels with a combination of BTECs. Uh, right. So you can, you can mix up A-levels and BTEC to create a program, a personalised program, that suits you as a student. Okay, so let's drill into that end first. Uh, um, BTEC, what, what does it stand for? What is it? BTEC are vocational and technical uh, qualifications. So uh, these are run by Pearson and uh, they give you as much access to universities in the UK or elsewhere in the world as A-levels, uh, but they are vocational, educate, uh, vocational qualifications. So we offer those in music and in media and film and also in physical education at the moment. Uh, and we, we could in the future offer those in other vocational areas as well. Uh, but BSM is the only school currently in Amman that is able to offer BTEC. So that you know, gives us a, a very special privilege to be able to do that. Um, and there are, there are students every year who study BTECs and sometimes BTECs and A-levels, and then go on to study film or media or sports science or music at universities in the UK and elsewhere around the world. So it tends to suit maybe a different type of learner, a learner who's maybe more suited to project-based work and coursework rather than the more sort of academic traditional exams. Uh, but they are rigorous and worthwhile qualifications and they've provided a really valuable pathway into higher education and employment for many of our students over the years. Fantastic. And and how would uh, the student's experience of BTEC differ to um, a typical A-level experience? Um, so the courses uh, tend to be more practically focused. So uh, there, there's a really... Uh, sort of good focus on the practical aspects. So if they're studying film, uh, they're not just sort of looking at books. Uh, they are working with film equipment. They're working with professional 
film equipment and they are they are making films with that professional equipment both in school and outside of school so they're developing an academic understanding of like the theory and the history of filmmaking um, and they're also then getting practical experience of using professional film equipment to go and make their own films so you know there is a a, a mixture of like academic theory, but also then putting that academic theory into practice. Okay. And uh, let's talk a little bit now about A-levels. Um, uh, what A-levels do you offer and, uh, you know, how are they taught? So we offer over 20 A-levels. So there's a really good choice of uh, A-levels for, for students to choose from. And they can do three or four of those. Or if they're mixing with, with BTECs, maybe one or two. Uh, but again, there's there's the opportunity for every student to choose their A-levels in a very personalised way and create their own individualised curriculum. So if they want to do maths, physics, chemistry and biology, great. They might want to do, uh, say, maths, physics and art uh, if they want to be an architect. Or they might, might want to do maths, physics and history. Uh, or, or, you know, there, there's... A whole range of permutations with which you can uh, combine different A-level subjects. Every A-level subject gets nine hours a fortnight. So A-levels are quite an intense level of study because uh, you go very in, into a great amount of depth into an A-level subject. And that's one of the things why A-levels, certainly last year, were the most popular examination taken at international schools around the world. About I think 34% of students were following A-levels, about 26% IB. I mean, both very strong programs. But one of the advantages of A-levels is, yes, they're personalised and you go into a lot of depth. And so a student going to a university with an A-level in physics, let's say in maths and biology, will have studied those subjects in a huge amount of depth. And quite often it's not unusual for a student to feel pretty confident when they're at university in that first year because they have studied those subjects in so much depth at A-level. And talking about the university transition, how do you support students on that journey? So we've got a great sixth form team. We've got a, a head of sixth form uh, who also works with a, a deputy head of sixth form. And the deputy head of sixth form has got a particular responsibility for supporting the students with their university applications. So wh whether that's through UCAS for universities in the UK or through uh, applications for universities in North America or Southeast Asia or the Middle East. And, and I think it's important to recognize that even though we are a British school, we're an international school and our students with their British international education go on to universities all over the world right. and we have experience and expertise within the school to support applications for universities all over the world so it's wonderful to see our alumni coming back from america to tell us about how they become doctors in america or they become doctors in the uk or they become engineers in malaysia or computer scientists in australia you know our students go all over the world with the education that they get here at BSM. 
So let's move a little bit down the age group now to look at the uh, 14 to 16-year-olds and, and the IGCSE program. Could you tell us a little bit about their world for us, please? Yep. So um, IGCSE's students uh, start the process of choosing uh, their IGCSEs when they're in what we call year nine. So when they're in the year when they're 13, 14 years old, right. uh, we start that process fairly on, fairly early on in that year. So there's plenty of time for discussions around about October, early November, we start the options process. Uh, but all students will study English and maths and science uh, and a foreign language. Um, so they do get some choice. But it's, it's also important, we believe, at, at that age of 14, moving into 15, that they keep a broad and balanced curriculum. Um, so we won't let them get too specialised at age 14 and 15. Uh, and there's a good range of GCC, IGCC options to choose from. So they can decide whether they continue with design and technology or whether they continue with drama or with art or with music, uh, history and geography, which language they wish to specialise in. So they do keep a broad and balanced curriculum, but there is some flexibility and some choice in there which can help personalise the student's curriculum and hopefully that leads to greater levels of motivation and success. Right. And of course, the students are involved, I guess, in also in in sporting activities and all of those other activities that go alongside yeah. Um, the, the regular programme. Yeah, so right throughout the school from early years onwards, uh, we have a very strong extracurricular programme and that continues at IGCSE. And so there's a very rich uh, choice of sporting and creative and performing arts and also some more academic extension activities for the students to choose from and get involved in. And we also have a very strong outdoor education program, which really starts in year four. And by the time they're at IGC, IGC level, they're moving into the International Award, which gives them an opportunity to what they call in the UK, the Duke of Edinburgh Award scheme, where they go on expeditions at what we call bronze level and silver level and gold level. And they go out into the Amani Mountains, the Wadis and the deserts and they go on expeditions and they learn so much from those experiences. Yes, I do indeed. Um, let's uh, talk about the, the younger students in the secondary school. Um, the transition from primary to secondary, how is that handled? I guess relatively smoothly. Yeah, so the, the, physically, the primary school and senior school are very close to each other. Right. And so the transition... For us, you know, for most of our students from primary to senior is very easy to manage. And from year five, we are working on a, tr on a transition program. Uh, so to ensure that as the children transition from year six into year seven, it's a very smooth process. And towards the end of year six, that sort of ends up with a transition week when the year six children spend a whole week in the, in the senior school getting ready for year seven. Right. And, and in terms of teaching and learning styles, uh, is that transition also present? Yeah, so by the time the students are in year five and six, they, they are getting perhaps more formal learning styles than when they enter the primary school in year one and two. 
um, and, and we are giving them experience of the senior school of year seven. Um, so, and we, you know, we do a lot of work with them so they can experience that transition from, if you like, having one uh, classroom teacher and a few specialist teachers in year six to having specialist teachers throughout in year seven. Um, but there is a lot of support there and um, you know, we, they still have a form tutor. And so usually that, that transition works pretty smoothly. Okay. And the children um, actually really enjoy then going to subjects like science and design and technology and drama, you know, these very active uh, learning experiences in specialist spaces, which they maybe didn't have in year six. Right. And you mentioned uh, well-being being a focus uh, of the school. How do you support, um, you know, teenagers uh, uh, through on their journey towards adulthood? Sometimes it's a, a yeah. more challenging uh, journey. How do you help yeah, them uh, uh, yeah. manage that? It's a more challenging journey. Uh, and uh, one of our mottos is well-being first. So we do believe it's important that children uh, do feel happy, do feel supported, do feel secure. So that's, that's an important part of our, our learning ethos. That's the first part, actually, that children feel safe and secure. So we have a, a good team of support that children can access if they need some help. So they have a form tutor, they have a year leader, they have a key stage leader. Uh, we also have a health and wellbeing centre where we have three qualified nurses. Uh, we have a school counsellor. Um, so there's a whole range of people who can support support our children. Um, and what we've also just been doing in the last couple of years is uh, we also do what's called the PASS survey. So this is a pupil attitudinal survey. And we do this at a couple of points in the year. And this gives us indiv individual information on each student and their attitudes to learning. And so they can be telling us through this survey how they feel about their relationship with their peers, their relationship with their teachers, their relationship to school. And it can flag up if there are issues there, and then we can put in interventions around that. So the PASS survey is really a, a really important part of how we how we get information about how students are feeling and then how we might support them. Right. Um, finally, really, uh, how do you approach uh, you know, grading students' work? Uh, Parents uh, are often confused. Do you use a, a letter-based system or a percentage system? Uh, how do you approach that? Yeah, so uh, we give um, we, we give a very simple uh, grading system for effort uh, and also achievement. So we break it into those two areas. Uh, we always explain that system when we meet when we meet parents, and it's in the students' planners um, and it's in the reports. We're all always explaining that. So it's a fairly fairly simple system it's important that it's simple but actually what's what's more important really other than the grading is the feedback that students are getting and the quality of the feedback the students are getting and so we've done a lot of work in recent years on making sure that the students are getting regular feedback which could be verbal which could be written so they really understand how they can improve where they're going and how they how can they improve further right and um how much uh, does it cost to send your child to the uh, uh, secondary school? It costs, depending on the year group, between seven thousand three hundred real and nine thousand two hundred real. Okay, and does that include um, examination fees and those kind of things? Examination fees are on top of that, 
but uh, field trips are included in that apart from the international award I mentioned. But like I said, the art trip, the geography trips, those are all included. Explore all the other things that happen at this school. So, okay, let's talk a little bit about your enrichment programme now. What kind of things does the school offer in terms of, I don't know, trips, excursions? Um, well, we have a wide range of, of trips, um, which we start right down in reception. And because we're very lucky with our location as a school, you know, between sure. the uh, the Gulf of Oman and the Al Hajar Mountains, we're not too far from the, the desert and the wadis. Uh, and this beautiful, exciting series of landscapes that are around our school, we try to use those as much as possible uh, right. from the with with the children from a very early age. Okay, and um, uh, in terms of sports and activities, I guess you're involved in regional uh, competition. Is that right? Yep, that's right. Our under-13 BSME team have just come back from the under-13 games up in Dubai. Uh, so, yeah, right. we've got BSME teams. That stands for British Schools Middle East. Uh, so we're an active member of that organisation. And that means that our teams, our students uh, from year six right through to sixth form com compete with other British international schools right across the Middle East region. And the students spend months preparing for those games. They take them really seriously. Um, and then we, 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 uh, we have a squad for each of those games. And they'll go off to uh, compete against other British international schools in other parts of the Middle East. Or on a fairly frequent basis, we also host some of those tournaments ourselves because uh, we've got some fantastic sporting facilities. And it's a real joy to see our students competing uh, against other students from countries all around the region. So the, the BSME games are a real highlight in the calendar for each year group. But we also have uh, leagues in Muscat where we compete with other international schools in Muscat, in basketball, in volleyball, in netball, in football. Um, so there's a really good range of competitive sport for the students. But we also think it's important that all students are encouraged to participate in sports. So our sporting programme isn't only for uh, the, if you like, the high-performing uh, athletes, um, but we have got some excellent programmes in the area. So, for example, swimming, we have a competitive programme. We call that BSM Marlins. And again, our swimmers, they're in the pool at five o'clock in the morning. Uh, they're also in the pool at seven o'clock in the evening. Uh, and we do have swimmers who compete in international championships and swimming is one of those great sports uh, in this context where, that you can actually do all the year round but also in terms of participation uh, with swimming we also have a swimming development program because we're very fortunate enough to have three swimming pools so that means at the same time we can have competitive swimming going on in one pool in the eight lane competitive pool but we've got two of the smaller pools where those students, and they can be as young as three, might be learning to swim or become stronger swimmers. And that programme extends through to adults as well, both masters for competitive adults and also development programmes for adults who want to improve their, their swimming technique. So Wonderful. right across the piece, 
we've got a good range of participative sport, but also competitive and high performance sport. And clubs and things like that. Uh, I guess uh, your school specialises in enriching your programme in that regard as well. In, in what was that, sorry? Clubs. Clubs, oh, clubs. Uh, after yes. school activities. Yes, yes. We have a, a wide range of clubs. So in, in addition to the wide range of sport I've just talked about, uh, we also have a very wide and varied programme of performing arts. We have drama clubs. We have music, huge amount of music tuition that's available. So you can uh, have instrumental lessons or you can have group lessons or you might want to join the rock school or the band or the orchestra or the choir. So lots in music, lots in drama, but also lots in creative areas as well, like art um, and sewing and all sorts of uh, creative art. So, yeah, we, we really believe at uh, BSM that it is our responsibility to identify the talent in every young person. And whatever that talent might be, we want to try and nurture and grow and develop that talent. And, and our ECA programme or our enrichment programme, whether we're talking about sports or the arts or a whole range of other activities or the outdoor activities, we also have a very strong international award programme, which is like the Duke of Edinburgh programme. And all these, this wide range of activities, obviously a student can't get involved in all of them, but somewhere in that programme, they should be able to find something which will grab their attention, will grab an interest, and we will grow and nurture that interest and that talent, or whatever that might be with the student. And we have probably over 300 different activities a year in our enrichment programme. Wonderful. And what about cost? Uh, do parents have to uh, pay additionally for, for these, um, um, these services? So the enrichment programme, which takes place from two o'clock in the afternoon till half past four in the afternoon, all those activities are included in the tuition fee. Right. Um, so that's the enrichment programme from two till half past four. And then after half past four through into the evening, we have another range of what we call community clubs so the students can continue activities beyond half past four but the majority of those activities the parents have to pay for because that's very often additional coaches or clubs coming in to hire our facilities and, and run that right. in a slightly different way uh, but also there's there's there are, there are community clubs going on at the weekend cricket basketball football a uh, whole range of activities again at the weekend community clubs and those activities at the weekend the parents pay for but they do get you know I talked about 300 activities when i'm talking about the 300 activities they are in this core enrichment program that happens in the two hours immediately after school find out what this school believes about specific topics so let's take a look at uh, the school's position on a variety of different areas, maybe starting with student behaviour. How do you believe that student behaviour should be managed? Well, I think the, the first thing that's worth saying, Neil, is that um, whenever we ask uh, staff or, or parents and even students, what's the thing they like most about BSM? <laughs> Uh, it's 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 always the students and also the impeccable behaviour. We're very right. fortunate and blessed to have students who are very engaged in their learning and who are very motivated. And so sort of serious behaviour incidents are not things that we have to deal with very often. But children are children. 
and from time to time they will do you know they will make uh choices which are perhaps not the smartest of choices so sure. we do have what's called a positive behavior policy um and we also uh have our bsm learning ethos which clearly identifies the behaviors that we're trying to nurture and grow in all our students so we start off from a, a very positive positive standpoint where we make our expectations of the behaviors that we're looking to see in our children very clear and we have a positive behavior policy and a relationship with our students which is very positive and constructive but if a child is persistently uh, acting in a way which is not aligned with that policy then we have a very clear staged process of responding to that behavior and you know from low level to high level and we involve the parents as much as possible and, and certainly as we get to the more serious levels of behavior then the parents are very very much involved in those processes so it's constructive we also use approaches like restorative justice uh, because what we're actually trying to achieve in this area is we want our students to be aware of their behavior and also sure. responsible for the actions they take uh, and so we're, we're trying to have a dialogue and we're trying to educate our students in you know the right ways of behaving um, but you know from time to time we will have to take more sort of punitive action uh, if that is required but ideally we're talking about conversations we're asking students to reflect on what they've done and we're trying to you know, make sure that they learn from maybe smart cho choices which weren't so smart so in the future they'll make much smarter choices fantastic what about homework does the school uh, uh require an awful lot of homework from from the students well it depends on the age of the students um so you know even at uh foundation stage uh, which we we're talking about a bit earlier in the podcast uh we think that uh even with very young children the opportunities for parents to reinforce some of the learning that's been happening during the week with their child at home is very useful and it helps to progress the learning so for example at foundation stage they're not going to get heaps of homework but what we do do we we share with the parents uh, the key learnings which we've been doing during the week we share that on the google classroom and the parents can go in and see what their child has been learning that week let's say which which uh which areas of reading or phonics we've been working on sure. and then they can do a little bit of that that at home and then as we progress through the school we think in the early years again reading is very important so we, we we do place an importance on the children learning to read at home and then you know as you go through the school so into key stage four key stage five you know the sixth form um we are trying to develop habits in key stage three which will help these students when they get to the exam years of GCSE and A-level, where you know, revision will be happening, perhaps some coursework will be happening. And so developing those habits of independent learning at home so they can deal very well with the, the exams when they come is an important part of that. But they shouldn't get too much homework. And obviously, you know, we've just been talking about the enrichment programme. And so we think it's very important that all our students have a balance of if you like the more traditional academic learning, but also that they do engage in our enrichment program. So in that two hours after school, you know, they might have had five or six lessons from half past seven till two o'clock, but 
for two hours after school, we really hope that they're engaging in some sport or some performance or some music, which gives some balance to some of the academic learning. Fantastic. And what about attendance? Uh, do you have sort of strict attendance policies? Um, well, we, we expect uh, students to turn up every day. Sure. Uh, and we, we benchmark ourselves against sort of uh, statistics which you might be used to in the UK. Uh, where, um, you know, we're a British school. Uh, right. And so we do expect our t attendance to be over 95% and we keep a close eye on that. Okay. Um, but what, what is important is, you know, in an international school, uh, you know, the, the context can uh, pose some challenges from time to time for families. Indeed. Uh, there might be a, a family crisis back at home, which could be thousands of miles away. And we need to be sensitive that there may be times when families do need to take their children out of school for family reasons or personal reasons which are beyond their control. And we're very understanding and sympathetic about that. And yeah, our parents are always very keen if their child is missing school, that their child is given opportunities to, to catch up or if they're, they're going away in advance, they come to see us beforehand and say, we're gonna go be away for a couple of weeks. Is there some reading? Is there some, some work the child can be doing while we're away? So again, it's having that creative partnership with the parents to make sure that if the child isn't attending school for whatever reason, that they're, they're, not, they're not falling behind too seriously with the learning. Right. And you mentioned uh, sometimes things are a little bit more complicated in international schools. Um, how do you support students in terms of well-being and uh, those kind of uh, areas? Well, it's our priority. And uh, we call this well-being first. Uh, right. And so we use that phrase a lot. So, you know, that's got into the culture now that, you know, we do believe that, making sure that students are feeling good about themselves, are well and healthy. If they're not in that position, then they're going to struggle to learn. So well-being sure. must come first. And so we've got a good range of support services across the school that's available to all the students. Uh, so we've got a health and well-being centre that's staffed by three nurses, three full-time nurses. Uh, so the young people, if they've got a graze or a, a cut or they're not feeling well, whatever it might be, they can go to the health and wellbeing uh, centre where we've always got three nurses on hand. All our staff are trained in first aid. So that means wherever the right. child might be around the school site or on an activity beyond the school site, they will never be far from a, a member of staff who can deal with that first aid situation. And then we've also got a full-time school counsellor. Um, so for uh, the times when maybe a student needs somebody to listen, uh, listen to them and they've got maybe a, some anxiety or some concern. So in addition to the former tutor in the senior school and the class teacher in the primary school, we have a full-time counsellor who can provide right. support for our students. So we've got a, a great team of uh, qualified, experienced staff who can provide a lot of support for our children. So we do actually put well-being first. Fantastic. And um, sometimes students need additional learning support as well. Uh, uh, how do you help with that provision? So in both the primary and the senior school, uh, we have a, a SENCO. So we have two SENCOs. We're in the primary school, we're in the senior school. We also have a, an EA, EAL coordinator. Uh, right. and, and so if there are students who have uh, learning needs 
Uh, we've got, again, experienced and qualified uh, staff who can support those students. And if they are struggling with English, uh, perhaps English isn't their first language. Again, we've got a team of colleagues across the school who can support students in that way. Find out about all the practical stuff you need to know. Does the school have a dress code? We do. We have a uh, school uniform. And uh, one of the things I really liked about the school when I first arrived here um, quite a few years ago was the practical nature of the school uniform. So right. it's simple, it's practical. Uh, so if the students are doing drama, uh, it, it works. Um, and uh, and, it, and it, it's just very simple uh, for, the, for the children to to put the uniform on and to wear it. And it, and it just, it just it obviously, it creates a level playing, playing field across the school community. Children don't have to worry about what they're wearing. And the uniform is available at our school uniform shop, which is on the school site. So right. it's easy to get hold of. It's not too expensive. Okay, and it's great. a very practical uniform for this climate. Fantastic. And what about food provision? Uh, uh, what do you offer in, in these terms? Food provision is an area for development for our school. Um, we have had uh, some food provision in the past, but since over COVID, uh, that stopped. Mm. And we're now looking at how we can bring food provision back onto our site. Because it is something we would like to provide for our students and for our community. So we're currently starting to look at what options might be available with the facilities we've got to provide uh, food for the students and the, and the community. Right, so currently students bring their own food in packed lunches, yeah? That's right, yeah, they do that, yeah. Okay, and is there a central eating area where they can enjoy each other's company while they're eating? Uh, depending on the area of the school, uh, some, some areas have central areas some central areas so for example foundation stage uh, they have a lovely area where they can eat right. and also at the other end of the school the sixth form have a wonderful common room where where they can eat and then in other year groups they all have air-conditioned social areas where the students right. can go at break if they're not running around the or weather pitch exerting energy or in the playgrounds they've all got air-conditioned social areas where they can sit and eat their lunch in a very comfortable climate. Fantastic. And what about uh, transportation, busing? Do uh, most of the parents use buses? You, how does that work? Um, not a huge amount, um, but quite a few of our students do come in on buses. Uh, some of these are provided by the school, but also where there's maybe a small group of students uh, who need to come in by bus, then... Uh, the, we support the parents in arranging their own bus service. Bus right. services are quite hard to arrange in in Amman. Um, so there are maybe, I'd say, somewhere between 5 to 10% of our students who come in on buses every day. Um, and again, it's something that we're looking at all the time as we have some students who are you know, more and more students who are coming from further afield. If we right. have got enough students to put on a bus, then that's something we can explore with the parents. But the vast majority of students uh, are dropped off either by parents or, or others. Is that right? Um, I wouldn't say the vast majority. Uh, a large number are, are dropped off by car. Uh, but certainly in the winter months, I'm, in, I'm delighted that we're seeing more and more of our students either 
walking to school or cycling to school. Because uh, quite a lot of our students live within maybe five, 10, 15 minutes walk of the school. And so for those cooler months of the year, maybe between October and March, it's great sure. to see them walking into school. Fantastic. Um, and for the youngest children, do you offer uh, an after-school care program as well? We do. Uh, we call that the Oryx Club. Um, okay. And so, uh, so if, um, if parents would like their children to stay on at school a bit longer they can stay in the oryx club uh, and sometimes there might be a gap between the end of school and right, right. a student's uh, after school activity uh, club and again so that, that, that we they can go to the oryx club maybe for an hour and then they do the enrichment program I mean, but basically every day most of our students if they wanted to could be at school from the start of school at half past seven right through to half past four when the enrichment program finishes. Okay, great. And do you offer holiday programs, summer schools and things like that? We have done in the past, uh, pre-COVID, we used to offer um, a summer school and, and we've just started to reintroduce that again. So for example, last summer, we had a very popular karate uh, summer right. program, which attracted about 30 students who were, karate throughout the summer so that was fantastic and we're looking to, to rebuild and build on that success uh, and look at you know what other summer clubs we might might be able to offer in the future discover how much everything is going to cost so we've already talked about uh, the tuition fees but Kai, are there any other fees uh, associated with joining the school? Um, Enrolment fee, perhaps? Um, so when the students um, start to uh, apply for a place at the school, uh, they have to do a series of tests or assessments. So right. uh, the parents need to pay 50 real for an assessment <laughs> fee. Uh, and then once a place is offered, uh, then there's a deposit of 300 real, which needs to be paid to secure a place at the school. And that 300 real is deducted from the first term fees. And then, you know, I think I've talked quite a lot about our facilities uh, that we've got here, you know, the swimming pools and the sports halls and the science labs, the sixth form centre and the uh, theatre. So there is an infrastructure fee uh, and that's 300 real per term for the first nine terms. And that's probably the easiest way to pay the infrastructure fee. Understood, understood. And um, additional fees for trips and excursions we've talked about, I think. Um, but what about learning support? Uh, uh, do students uh, have to pay extra if they need, uh, I don't know, ESL, EAL programs or, or learning support programs? So, Trips are, apart from the international award, all the trips that these students go on are included in the tuition fee. Right. Uh, and all the learning support and EAL uh, support that the children get, those are also all included in the tuition fees. What's not included are the examination fees uh, for IGCSEs and A-levels, because right. that you know, depends very much on every individual student, how many GCSEs and A-levels they're doing and so on. So this, the, the parents are required to pay the examination fees. 
Okay. And what about um, any fee reductions, maybe for uh, additional siblings or or for, for different companies? How does the school manage uh, that process? Um, we do do some fee reductions on the infrastructure fee for additional siblings, right. and all this information on fees can be found on the website. Sure. And what, but but we don't offer any discount to any company because uh, you know I think if we were offering a discount to one company, then every other company would want that discount. Um, and what I think our parents need to bear in mind is we are a not-for-profit school, so all the fees that they pay uh, go towards the running costs of the school. N none of these fees are going to uh, like profits or to shareholders or to investors. Sure. We're not for profit, which means that everything that's, that, that's paid by the parents goes into the education of their children. And um, what we also are able to offer, while we can't offer discounts, we do also appreciate that from time to time, some families may encounter some financial difficulty or challenges. Sure. And so we're very sympathetic uh, to sit down with the parents and listen to what their issue might be. And then, you know, one of the common things we're able to offer is a is a payment plan. So maybe to spread the payments over a longer period of time, which enables the family to sort the finances out so they can meet those. So we always encourage our parents if they if they have got concerns about the fees, uh, if they're having some challenges, then to come and uh, sit down and talk with our finance director and our, our accounts team. And we will try and do everything we can to to make that process uh, as, as least painful as possible. Learn about the admissions process and how to secure a place. Um, in terms of admissions, do you have a rolling admissions process or are there fixed uh, moments in time as far as your school is concerned? Well, the community that we serve uh, is a very mobile community. Uh, and Indeed. so we do welcome applications and arrivals at all points during the school year. So the admissions office is open throughout the school year, uh, through the summer holidays and through the other holidays we're open and we take admissions and we welcome applications all year round. Right, and, and you mentioned earlier that uh, uh, there's an additional fee for testing. What kind of testing uh, do you do when you admit students? Well, uh, we'll start down in uh, foundation stage, uh, reception and nursery. Uh, we do play assessments. So we just observe the children playing uh, just to make sure that they will be able to uh, be supported in the in, in our school. Uh, in year one and two, we do what we call a progress test to see where they're at. Uh, in years three to 11, we do what's called a CAT4 assessment. Uh, to again understand where the children are and, and, and identify very early on whether they might need uh, some additional learning support or some EAL support. And then for the sixth form, uh, we do look at GCSE results if those are available. If they're not, we'll look at other uh, achievements that the student has had up until age 16. Um, but uh, we have as far as possible, a very inclusive sixth form. And I cannot recall the last time that we were not able to accept 
one of our own year 11 students. Right. And in terms of actually getting into the school, um, uh, is the assessment um, uh, uh, a factor in whether a place is offered? Um, yes, because we, we have got some uh, um, we have got some ad- admissions criteria, and uh, yeah, we do think it's important that if we if, if we are admitting a child into school, that we we need to be able to support that child as best as we can, and we also want that child to thrive in the environment of BSM. So sure. we have got admissions criteria; they're on the website. So we are, you know, to an extent, we're selective. Um, but you know that's a very broad. You know, we do accept a very broad range of students. But in this context, uh, one of the reasons that we are uh, selective to an extent is that it's actually quite difficult to uh, recruit um, over a period of time staff who have got learning support skills and who can support students who have got learning difficulties. So we can support students with a certain degree of learning difficulty, and we can support students with EAL needs. But if a student, for example, needed one-to-one support for 100% of the time, that would be very difficult for us to provide in this environment. Understood. And um, if I need support with the application process, I guess uh, the website's the best place to start? Uh, The website is is a good place to start, um, but we also have a very friendly, and engaging admissions team who are all, always delighted uh, to help parents and to listen to parents and to support parents with the application process. So please don't struggle on your own if you're a parent listening to this. <laughs> if you've got a problem or maybe English is not your first, first language, sure. we have many Arabic speakers, for example, on our staff who can help you with that process. So please don't struggle come in and talk to us and we can we can do everything we can to help you. And and for parents who maybe are new to Oman coming in, uh, how do you help the parents integrate, the families integrate? Because it's, it's really, really um, important, isn't it? Yeah, so uh, for both the, well, actually we do this for, for three groups. So for our, for our parents, for the children, and also for, us, for our staff, we found that having a buddy system is something which can be really use, really useful in supporting families and students as they right. as they join the school. Um, and we do do a number of activities. We have coffee mornings, for example, where we invite new parents in to meet other new parents. Uh, and so we, we try to create opportunities throughout the school year where the parents are very welcome to come into the school to meet other parents and to start to build connections with other families across the school community. Let's sum everything up. So thank you, Kai. Uh, That was really fascinating. I really enjoyed learning more about your school. Um, What do you like most about your school? If I was to nail you down and just pin down one thing, what would it be? That's easy. Um, and you get consensus from it from, uh, to this question right across the staff. The best thing about BSM are our students. They are delightful. They are engaged. They are motivated. They are kind. They are generous. They're the most delightful young people to work with. And I think all of us who work at Briscoe Muscat, we feel we have a, a real sense of uh, privilege that we, we are 
blessed to be able to work and serve and teach and and support such wonderful young people and and I think you know my colleagues have been saying that since I arrived at school twelve years ago, and they still say it to me now. Um, they are the most wonderful young people. So it's been a real pleasure to spend time with you today, uh, Kai. Thank you so much uh, for sharing uh, about your wonderful school. Well, thanks, Neil, and uh, thanks for inviting me on the, the podcast. It's been a real pleasure to, to talk with you. We hope you found your perfect school today. Thank you so much for being with us today. And please don't forget to subscribe and share the School Selector podcast.